0: It's like God's putting together a, a, a big puzzle, and the pieces are your life. And you feel broken, but you're ready for God to put your life back together. There's many in this room that you're will, willing to receive God putting your life back together. Only God can do this. It's a supernatural encounter with Him. If that's you right now, I want you to just posture yourself as a receiver, someone ready to let God do it. Would you give him an invitation to put your life back together? We've all been to broken places, but God is the divine puzzle maker that puts it and makes it make sense again. So Father, right now, as we look over this group and this room and those online are listening, they said, God, in their heart, they need their life put back together. There's areas of brokenness where they're just... Impossible to find healing without Jesus Christ. And you said you would send the Holy Spirit, our comforter. So right now, in the name of Jesus, we declare that the Holy Spirit is free to minister to each individual right now who's receiving. Every person that says, that's me, my life needs to be put back together. We release you, Holy Spirit. We ask that you would come in love, not judgment love unconditional love and begin knitting back together the lives in this room we speak to the broken souls the angry souls the raging souls and we say peace be still and let the love of god in to overwhelm you with love instead of hate love instead of anger love instead of unforgiveness where your family's been broken god's bringing you into a new family where you're lacking, God's bringing you provision right now. We, we welcome the provision of God in our lives, in every broken area. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. We, we receive the word, and, we, and the word is our own today. The scripture is alive to us today. We just welcome you now, Holy Spirit, to come and to minister and to seal those who words over people's hearts that they can write down in their journals they can put down on their phone in a message and say this is the day that I gave my broken life to God and he's going to put it back together and it's going to be a glorious story in Jesus name in Jesus name amen can we give God a clap offering of Thanksgiving amen thank you God thank you Father thank you God Amen. Amen. Well, say uh, a greeting or a thank, give, give your neighbor a, a high five or tell them that you're glad to see them. Thank God for your neighbor. That's awesome. A lot of activity out there. Beautiful. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Well, this week we continue our two-part series. And last week we began a journey of 10 signs that you're in a relationship with God. And uh, we did six of those points, and we're going to do the last four today of signs you're in a relationship before with God. But before we do that, I realize that we need to find um, a starting point. Like, where do we have these relationships? Where does our relationships come from? What's the starting point? What's our attitude about relationships? And a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, we did an entire series of learning how to position ourselves before God. And this really sets up how to live our relationship with God. And we used a metaphor of three different chairs to to describe those positions before God. So I wanted to invite Katrina up. Come on up, hun. And we're going to just uh, quickly review these. It won't take a long time. But we want to talk about the three chairs that you have a choice to live in. So there's, uh, of all, how many people are in the world now? Eight billion? So Yeah, several, several. Several billion now. A lot. So many, yeah, just a lot. And there's three chairs, and everyone has to pick one of the three. OK, so it's not like you can, there's a fourth chair hiding on the corner. Everyone in the world is in one of these three chairs, all right? So we just wanted to describe them so you know where we're talking about when we talk about relationships, and, and specifically a relationship with God. So there's three different almost kingdoms you, can, you could say, and on my left is chair number three. In the middle here is chair number two. And over here, uh, Katrina, do you want to be, you could do the chair one example because you're such an awesome person. She's eye candy, yes, for me. Yeah, so this is chair one, chair two, chair three, all right? So think of three kingdoms, all right? This is kingdom of self right here. It's all about you. Have you ever been in that place? Yeah, we all start here, actually. We all start here where we all think it's about us. God is a distant memory. We're not even pursuing him. We don't even know if God is real. Our kingdom is about ourselves. Chair number two is when we become a Christian And Jesus comes into our life. We're like, yes, I'm going to heaven someday. But for some reason, we still think it's a lot about us. And we think if we have good enough behavior, then God will really love us and like us. So it's like an earned, deserve position. So you become like a servant to God. Remember, like, servanthood is like the biggest, highest calling. I want to be a servant for God in the army of God. Maybe one day I'll be a friend of God, which is a good thing. Then we come over to chair number one.
1: So, chair number one is when we've positioned ourselves and recognized that we are adopted into the kingdom of God, that we are sons and daughters, and we see ourselves and understand ourselves and our identity through that lens. I like to look at the three chairs like a, I'm very, very visual. So, for me, chair number three is kind of like a rickety old chair, it's kind of a broken chair. I don't want to be occupying any of my time sitting in a rickety chair that might break at any point. These people are people who have yet to, to understand who they are in Christ or accept Christ as Lord and Savior. Chair two, comfortable. I kind of think of like one of these chairs right here. Like it's, it's fine. It's okay. It's a, we're servants and we're friends in chair two. But chair one, if you can just imagine the most comfortable chair you've ever sat in. Can you visualize that? Whatever that chair means to you, that, that chair one where this is a chair that you do not want to get out of. You could spend the entire day luxuriating in this chair because it is just so comfortable. That's where God wants us to abide, in him, in the fullness of what he has for us. But so many of us as believers find ourselves and our butts stuck in chair two. Because we're trying to earn our way over here to chair one. If I check all the boxes, if I do all the right things, if I check, 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 whatever people think is a good Christian, if I'm a good enough Christian, then maybe one day God will shift me into chair one. And that's not accurate. That's not what God has for us. He has chair one designed for each and every single one of you. It doesn't matter your title or your position. It matters your heart. Do you see yourself as a son or daughter of the Most High King? Because when you start to identify and see yourself sitting in chair one, all of a sudden you recognize that you have access to all the riches in heaven. There is nothing that is not at your disposal. Because the Father wants to give good gifts to his children. You are a son I am a daughter, and everything that he has destined and purposed, I get to have when I abide in my identity in him in chair one.
0: So you can think of it like this. Over here in, the, in chair three, there's never enough. Think of yourself as, oh, no, I just, I can't, I can't. you know, every, every month that comes up, you just don't have enough. And you hear people say, well, that's just my lot in life. I guess this is the way it is for me. Some people get all the luck. And they live as a victim right here. You live as a slave. Very few choices. Life tells you what to do. You don't tell life what to do. Over here, it's in the land of just enough. You're out of your Egypt and you're into the desert. And at least you have God and he's meeting your needs. And you know he's never going to leave you nor forsake you. But you're kind of like, isn't there more to this? It's just enough. And then there's a way better spot over here.
1: And then this is the land of more than enough. This is when God took his people into the promised land. He didn't have design and purpose for them to live forever in a place of just enough or of lack. His whole design and purpose was always that as believers, we would walk in the land of more than enough in abundance. Amen.
0: Amen. That's good preaching. And lastly here, let's let's describe how you think of of heaven. You you know, it's kind of like, you know, it would be a nice place to go someday. You don't even know if you're going to believe in heaven or hell, and you, you just hope you get in if maybe you're kind of a good person. Over here, unfortunately for decades, we were taught as Christians that we're escaping earth, and, and we're going to try to hide, and don't let sin taint you, and if you're really good enough, one day we'll escape, and then heaven will happen, and all the bad people will finally get their justice. Okay? That's chair two. Now, chair one is different.
1: Chair one says, we are bringing heaven to earth. That is who we are as believers. Our job and our role is to be a problem, not to be solved, but an answer to be delivered. So because we have access to the Father, the King of kings, the creator of the universe, who has creative and genius and witty ideas, we have access to that. All we have to do is ask. All of a sudden now, in our fields of influence, in our workplaces, in our families, we have the opportunity to bring the kingdom of God to earth. Amen.
0: Thank you, my love. Appreciate that. Amen. As my wife tells me all the time, I'm not just a pretty face. And either is she. And so she is just full of the kingdom of God and these principles. And it all starts when by faith you accept your seat in chair one that you've been adopted as a son or daughter of God. And as Mike has taught me, this is not a one-time decision. Salvation is a one-time decision, but sonship and being adopted and living at home every day is a daily decision. Every morning when you wake up, I am a son or daughter of God. I'm beloved. I'm favored. I'm forgiven. I'm not an orphan. I have everything that I need. And I'm going to share what God has given me to be an answer and a solution in this world. That's chair one. Does that sound like good news? Amen. So that's where we want to live from. So when we talk about having signs of relationship with God, we want to talk about that chair right there and how it's good. And how many know it's pretty easy to slip from this chair to that chair? Oh, I remember when my friend, he got got some new jet skis and I went right back to chair two because I didn't get jet skis. Because I started coveting. Oh, no, he got something new and I didn't. Oh, I don't have it. And you, it must be nice. You slide right back into chair two. Then you repent and say, no, God, I asked God about it. And he said, do you think I only have two jet skis? Do you think if I bless one person, I can't bless you? And I said, I'm sorry, God. I repented. I humbled myself. And you just come right back home. And you come right back to chair one as fast as you can. And as you get more mature, come on up. Katrina's coming back. Here we go.
1: Sorry, I got one more thing to say. Totally to add to this. So last, you you know the expression practice what you preach, right? So last Sunday, I got up and I talked about the goodness of God, one of my favorite things to talk about. And you know what, how we just proclaim his goodness and not that must be nice and we don't walk in that. And wouldn't you know this week, just nailed with a situation that found myself wandering back over to chair two, and I told Mark I was so frustrated and so discouraged, and I went to bed, and I was like, I know what I'm supposed to believe, and I know, but I'm just so freaking disappointed, and oh, it's never gonna happen, and I hear myself, right, having my own little pity party of this thing that I've been asking God for and asking God for, and it just felt like it was a closed door. It wasn't a closed door. It's a just wait door but in the moment it felt like this shut door that was never going to open and here I was finding myself back in chair two of just enough you know God's just got enough and maybe if I do things right he'll grant us this and I knew I was having this pity party and I went to bed and I said all right Lord I'm done this is obviously not going to help me So I lay down, and Mark's beside me, and I'm just muttering to myself, God is good, and I'm recalling all the goodness and all the times in my life, though this circumstance hasn't changed any, and I'm still feeling kind of sorry for myself, it didn't change the character of God. And all of a sudden, I was putting my woes onto this idea that God had changed somehow. He hasn't. He's still faithful and loving and kind and gracious and has more than enough And so I had to self-talk. And don't worry if people think you're cuckoo bananas. If you're self-talking, it's actually a sign of intelligence to talk to yourself. So I self-talked myself right back up again. At least that's what I tell myself. It's a sign of intelligence (laughs) that God is good and faithful. And I recalled and I said it. I might not have necessarily felt it because I was feeling so ticked off by this situation, But I said it and said it and said it and said it until I believed it. And I recalled the goodness of God. And I recalled the ways that he has been faithful in my life. And that switched everything. Did the door suddenly open the next morning and all of a sudden, look, no. That door is still semi-shut and it's still a wait. But my attitude and my understanding and my remembering and recalling I want to stay firmly seated in who I am as a daughter. I don't want to slide back into chair two thinking. I want to stay in chair one. That's what shifted.
0: Amen. Thank you. Amen. And you are welcome to come back anytime. You don't have to just come up anytime. You don't have to apologize. Just come up with the word and speak it. All right. So, we remind ourselves of the three chairs, okay, so we want to live in chair one, and it's not like you get to go to it, you, you live from it, okay, so it's a different way of thinking. Chair two, you're trying to earn, deserve, and get somewhere. Chair one, you already have everything, and now you're living from the blessing to give away. All right, let's remind ourselves of the six signs we talked about last Sunday. I'll just briefly go through these. You can look on our YouTube channel and uh, watch that message from last week. Number one, your face would reflect his face. When we're in a relationship with God, your face will reflect God's face, meaning happy faces. We, last week we went around and had everyone smile. I'm not going to force you to do that this time because some people really got mad at me uh, when I tried to do that. So happy faces and confident with God. When, you're, when you have a reflection of God's face, you gain confidence. Confidence. Not in yourself, remember. You gain confidence in who your Father is. And it gives you power to go into your day. Number two, you see possible when everyone else sees impossible. You're an answer being delivered. So when everyone goes, oh, no, you go, yes. This is God's opportunity. So you come in the room thinking everything is possible through Christ. It changes the atmosphere. Number three, less lack, more provision. With God as your provider, you have less of less, and you have more of more. Number four, you're less anxious and more thankful. When you walk with God, you're less anxious because you're more thankful. Number five, you're less alone. You, you, you stop living this loner life kind of like me first, and you're more at home. And chair one, you're more at home. Meaning, it's okay to be celebrated. It's okay to give. It's okay to receive because you're happy at home. And number six was you become a giver by nature. When you hang out with God, when you read His Word, you'll see primarily part of His nature—not not just love, but He's a giver. When you're love, when you're loving, you're giving. So you become a giver. All this is to say. We reflect, we reflect the family that we belong to. So whoever you spend time with, you become like. So you reflect the family you belong to. If you belong to the family of God as a son and daughter, you're going to reflect the kingdom of God on earth. Here you reflect religion and self-power. And here you're just reflecting what, the best humanistic ideas that you can come, come to the table with. But let me tell you right now, let me give you a fair warning. There's only one that's going to stand the test of time. There's only going to be one relationship that protects you and provides for you for eternity. And it's that far one. These two melt away when you come into the presence of God. So let's jump in to these last four in the next 30 minutes here. Number seven, this is the seventh sign you're in a relationship with God. And this is probably the hardest one for me okay, this might be the hardest for many of us in the room, is that we will learn to love our enemies and want to see them ridiculously blessed. Have you ever just absolutely loved your enemy? I mean, you just can't get enough love for them, and you want to see them ridiculously blessed. Try to do that from these two chairs. Try to do it just... Try to love someone that you don't love. Try to love someone that's hurt you. Try to, try, to, try to pray a blessing on someone that's come against you and your family or your children. Is that easy? I've gone through that and I've failed this test many times. And I had to humble myself and I had to get other men of God around me and my wife and pray and ask for help and counsel. Because I get stuck in chair two or three trying to do it on my own willpower. Jesus was crazy in his gospel presentation. This is what he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 44. You have heard that it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. This is a whole other level of Christianity. And it's not a simple one. This is what he asks you to do. He asks you to unconditionally love your enemies. What that means is you need to love them, not based on their behavior, but on the character of God. Ouch. You can't love them on how they treat you. That's that's unconditional. It was when we love them based on who God says we are and who God created them in his image. Then we love them that way. We don't love them based on their performance. Number two, the Bible says we are to bless them. If you look that word up in the Greek, it means to eulogize. A eulogy, which we speak at funerals. You know when you're supposed to speak nice about people? You're supposed to. That's a hint for those going to funerals. Don't get up there and badmouth the people who are already dead. It doesn't do any good. Eulogy is to speak life and a blessing over people. God wants you to speak blessing over your enemies. He wants you to eulogize and speak kind words over them. Now, can you do that when you're having a bad day and you're feeling sorry for yourself? No. You need Jesus Christ. You need faith. You need strength from God to be able to speak life over your enemies. Number three, he says, now I want you to go and do good for them. Jesus is pouring it on here. He's not letting you get away with anything. He wants you to actually take action to bless their life. This is not now a theory. He wants you to do something good to take a verb, action, and do something for them. It's supposed to be beautiful. It's supposed to be fine. It's supposed to be excellent. It's supposed to be well. There's supposed to be no room for blame when you do these good works for people. And I'm talking about enemies now. I'm not talking about your best friend where it's easy to do it. I'm talking about the people who rub you so wrong that you just can't stand to be in the room with them. Have you ever had someone like that? Everyone's like, hey. We all have. Last but not least, when we love our enemies, he says to intercede and pray for them. That means you're spending time in your prayer closet interceding, asking for God's blessing and will over their life. Now, How many know those four things would not be easy to do on your own willpower? I would struggle with all that. That's how you know you can see a Christian who's walking with God because they can act like that. And that is supernatural. Number eight, let's move on to the eighth sign. This is one of the power keys. I I, I call it a key to life. It's It's when you learn that forgiveness is frequent and it's functional. Forgiveness becomes a tool in your tool belt, it's not a theory you hear about at church. Forgiveness is something you practice, it's frequent, it can be daily. And it's functional. It's something you use. It's not something you talk about. It's something you do. It's not a foreign concept. Remember, in the Bible, forgiving others is not a suggestion, it's a command. Forgiving others is a tool that will free yourself from your self prison, self hate, anger, and rage. It will free you from the power of revenge. Forgiveness can be exercised every single day. And forgiveness is not the same as trust. We we need to forgive and we should forgive. And the word says to forgive. But it's not the same as trust with someone. It doesn't mean now that you're going to be best friends the next day or something like that. You might have to spend a lot of time building trust if both parties choose to, to reconcile that relationship. But forgiveness is not an option. Let me warn you, don't put forgiveness in your back pocket and say, well, maybe someday if they really treat me right. You're going to become your own worst enemy if you hold on to unforgiveness. Forgiveness is a command, not a suggestion. Let's talk at what the scriptures say. This is Luke chapter 17 through 5. Take heed to yourselves... If your brother sins against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, now that would be quite a friend there, wouldn't it? Seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent. You shall forgive him. And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Because they thought, that's crazy. And Jesus said, no, this is, this is how it works. So Here's a specific story, if I could tell you a personal story, and this is, uh, you know, not an easy story to tell for myself, but I wanted to give an example. I felt God really impressed it on my heart to share a journey of forgiveness in my life that I hope can help you uh, give an illustration about the power of forgiveness. So when I I was a young child, I don't know, early elementary, something like that, I was... uh, Uh, at home, and I was being babysat, and one of the babysitters uh, abused me when I was a little guy. I don't, I think I was like grade two, three, four, something like that. I blocked it out of my memory for years until um, some counselors got involved or something like that at school, and uh, I had forgotten all about this abusive situation, and then when I was about 19 or 20 years old, you know, God was working on my heart, and it's time to deal with some of the pain of my past. And so there was free counseling, so I chose to go. Very helpful guy helped me with that. And I realized the scriptures said for me to forgive that person who sinned against me. And so I got my Bible out. It said right in there all these chapters about forgiveness. So I wrote a letter to the person who sinned against me. I said, what you did was horrible, wrong, hurtful, painful. I don't like it. It was nasty, and it's your fault, not mine. That's how I started the letter. I probably said hello first, but anyways, I said all that stuff, and then I said, but I choose today to forgive you because Jesus Christ has forgiven me for my sins. All of my nasty stuff is forgiven through Jesus Christ. Now I have the power, and I choose to forgive you for all the nasty things you did to me. And I do it in Jesus' name. I do it by faith, and I do it in love. I hope the best for you. And I slipped the gospel, I think the gospel of John or something in the letter, like a little Bible, and I mailed it off. And I had to let go at that point. And the cool story is, at least momentarily, when that person got that letter, the, the Holy Spirit convicted them, and they, they ran to a, a, a distant relative of mine and talked to God about and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? It wasn't really about the results of that. I needed to do it for myself. I needed to choose to forgive them for what they did to me. And I had the power to do that because Jesus Christ had already forgiven my sins. I can freely now forgive those who sin against me. So there might be some of you in this room who have been hurt badly by other people, just like I was. And it was completely out of your control. Or maybe you've chosen to hurt other people. I think we've all hurt people and we've all been hurt. It's pretty normal in a human life. I want to encourage you, don't live life alone. Don't hide. Find a way to get help. And there's a practical way at our church, we call it Celebrate Recovery, where you can bring a hurt to a confidential group and you can work that out with Jesus and biblical principles on how to take that to the cross and let Jesus begin your healing journey. And we meet every Monday night at 7 o'clock here at the church, men and women over 18 years old. I just want to invite anyone here who might be going through a very painful or difficult situation to know there is hope through Jesus Christ. There's healing and healthy relationships through Jesus Christ. So we've talked about forgiveness as a sign. And this one's a lot of fun. This number nine is we help more and we judge less. When you hang out with God and Jesus and the word of God, you begin to want to help people because God is a giver. So naturally, you're going to start helping. And you're going to get less judgmental. Now here's the trick. If you stay in chair one, you help more and you judge less. But what happens if you get in chair two? You help and then judge. Well, you do both. You get all critical. Well, they're not doing it right. And oh, if they were real Christians and, you know, didn't they know this Bible verse? And, and it's this judgy, judgy, critical nature. Matthew 6.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. God wants you to take your skills and your talents and give them away to help people and do good things. Everyone has different gifts in here. Everyone could do different things. I mean, your gifts and talents are way different than mine. And you can go use yours out in our community to shine for Jesus Christ. And, you know, it was a fun story, uh, you know, about uh, pancakes and parking lots over here at the school. We were doing pancakes every month, we still do, for our local school, and we had brought all the 500 or 600 pancakes to the school, we were dropping them off, and a young student came in, and uh, he was in the parking lot, he came a little late, and I I greeted him, and he said, hey man, you know, he's so funny, what's up dude, it's awesome, and he like gave me this big high five up in the sky, and he was totally relaxing, and got his hat on, his backpack, and he gave me the awesome. I said, are you going to have pancakes? And he's like, yeah. I said, get in there. He goes, okay. And he shuffled off into the school to sign in late. And his mom and sister were over there, and I just waved because I had not met the rest of the family. I came out of the school, and uh, there the mom was waiting for me. She said, can I introduce myself? I said, absolutely. And she said, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm the mom. Of that's, uh, that was my son there that was greeting you and all that. I said, oh, that's great. And he's a great kid. We hang out maybe once a week. We play games and have these activities, and I always see him in the hallways. I try to recognize him. And she goes, wow. She goes, this is amazing. He says, he never, ever interacts like that in public. He never interacts like that with other guys. He has no male figures in his life to look up to. He might sometimes have a stepdad in his life. So whatever you're doing, don't stop. Just keep going. And all it was was a high five. But for this boy, he was learning how to interact with other guys publicly. And yeah, he was being silly and fun, but I think that's pretty normal for kids, I hope. And so his mom was so happy that he was learning to interact publicly and to show his confidence and to show his, his life and his laughter with other people. When we do good works, it not only benefits the person receiving, it benefits us. And it's been proven that it also benefits anyone who sees it happening. It benefits the person doing it. It benefits the receiver. And it benefits the group watching. All three get a blessing from you choosing to do a good work. What's really funny is when you go through the drive-thru to, like, buy someone behind you, and you're just hoping it's not a minivan full of, like, soccer kids where you're going to get, like, 10 Happy Meals or something. And, you know, I'm just waiting for that one day where it's going to be, like, 172.50. Uh, you know, but it hasn't happened yet, but it'll, anyway, so I go through, and I'm like, I'm going to do it, and I wait, and she's like, $1.47, like, oh, it's just a coffee, Bing, you know, and, and you'll see somebody wave, or, oh, yeah, Katrina and I were doing it with Spencer with us, when, when the police car was there, or Kate was, so we were over on the other side of town after a, a game or something, and the police in behind us. I'm so excited. We finally get to buy a, a police officer a meal and thank them for their service. And it was, it was at Wendy's or something. So we ordered and said, oh, I w- we want to pay for the guys behind us. So, bing, you know, they got a couple meals or whatever. And we're kind of just wait, waiting to see what will happen. And we're looking at the guy because he's asking us to pay through the window and he's handing us the food. All of a sudden, the police officer had snuck up beside us. We didn't know. Came up to Katrina's window on the path and rapped on the window. And Katrina and I flew up. The, she poured her drink out over the top, and uh, she caught the drink, put it back, and he's like, I was just coming to say thank you. You know, and we're like, oh, we've never had someone get out of the car. And we were laughing, and he was laughing. He's like, I didn't mean to scare you. And he's like, thank you so much. We're like, oh, we love you guys. Thank you for your service. You know, thank you for what you do in the city. And he's like, okay. you know. And uh, so that was a funny story. So good works. You never know what's going to happen when you do good things. But I want to encourage all of you. I I challenge all of you, please find at least one thing. Don't let another year go by where you're like, well, you know, I kind of do my own thing. Be intentional with your time. If you can, I know some of you have young kids and you have no free time. I get that. But when you do have time, pick at least one thing you can do. That's free. You're not asking for anything. You're only giving. You're only going this way. There's nothing that you're expecting in return. You're happy. You show up with a smiling face, and you give your best to someone, to an organization, to a person. But be friendly and give a good work. And just let it simmer. Let that seed go. And just have fun doing it over and over. That's nine. And last but not least, this is one of the benefits and a sign that you're in a relationship with God. And maybe it seems the most obvious But it actually takes quite a journey to get there. And that's this, that you hear and know the voice of God. It's a journey. There's no condemnation in Christ. So this is like a journey towards God. You begin to know and to hear the voice of God. Jesus becomes our shepherd. And the Bible says he knows us by name. He cares for us. He provides for us. And he protects us. He knows us and we know him by his voice. This all comes out of John chapter 10. Just so you know, we're not making this stuff up. John chapter 10. It's a whole chapter on the power of knowing God's voice. I encourage you to read it. This is just the first six verses. It said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. That's Jesus. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls out his own sheep by name. Jesus knows your name. And he leads them out, and when he brings his own sheep out, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. They will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. You know, he was speaking to a very religious group right there. And, you know, in religion, you're trying to do it. You're trying to do all the right behavior. So then, you know, you and God will be close. But a shepherd intimately knows the sheep by name and can care for them. When Katrina and I lived in Uganda, we would look out our compound, and every morning the shepherd would go by with all the goats and animals down the road. They'd have a long stick kind of helping the goats stay in line. And the goats were jumping all around. And they would have to take them out to pasture or water every day. And then by, like, let's say 5 o'clock in the evening, who is coming back to town? The shepherd. And And he's helping all the sheep get back and the goats all back to the pen at night. Very personal job, very difficult job for the shepherd, believe me. That guy was working hard to keep those things from jumping all over the place. Jesus said he wants to be our shepherd and here uh, this is a hint if you want to start practicing hearing the voice of God, this is something very practical, and this is where I think most of us should start or maybe we all have started is to practice first by hearing the voice of God through this the Bible. A lot of us get into hokey pokey stuff and we 're saying well i don't know if I hear god 's voice and this and that. and Okay. But if you read this a lot, right, Mike? If you make this the treasure of your life, guess what? When God speaks, you can test it and you say, no, that is God. Because not only did I hear God's voice, I have read a passage that it sounds just the same. In other words, the promises and character of God are always yes and amen in Christ. And you can study them here, practice knowing the heart of God. So then when the, his voice comes through, you're like, oh, that was God. That was God. It lines up with this. Jesus' voice will never contradict the word of God. This is your testing ground. So if the Holy Spirit says something to you and you're like, oh, no, I better not because it says right here, thou shall not. So make it practical. Hearing the voice of God, spend a lot of time in here. It makes it a lot easier to hear the voice of God. And people hear from God very differently. So I'm not going to make a religion on how to hear or what God sounds like. For me, he mostly speaks as an inner voice right in here in and in a quiet thought. It's very quiet usually to me. Very few examples has it not been very loud. I remember the fun one was when uh, Katrina was on a trip to Europe before we were dating, before we were uh, even a couple, and she was in Europe or uh, coming home from Africa and i was I went to the mall, and God said, "I want you to go to the mall and buy this sports hat and I was all excited to get myself a new hat and I went to grab my uh, large or extra large hat and god the Holy Spirit said, No, grab this one, and it was extra small I'm like, This is not God because look at this thing and look at that thing and i and I said I can't so I grabbed the extra large, and God said, No, the small one I'm like, can't be and i Grabbed the small one, and I had all this peace come over me. And I went and bought it. I said, I have no idea what I'm doing. So I threw it in the back of the car, brand new. Katrina comes home from, I think, a mission trip and then seeing friends. She was backpacking in Europe. And uh, we got together for coffee just to hang out. and We were sharing all the stories. And she was leaving the coffee shop, and that's when God said, give it to her. And I said, yes. And so I ran into my car. I said, I have a, a gift for you. She goes, me? And I'm like, yes. I said, uh I have this hat for you. And she goes, oh, man, that's so strange that you would do that for me. I'm like, why is it strange? She said, because when I was backpacking with her friend, her friend didn't have a hat for her hair. And so I gave my, like, one of my favorite hats away for her. And I said, well, God told me to get this, and this is a replacement. It's funny, we would later become husband and wife. We weren't even dating at the time. But those were, like, examples of when you can hear the voice of God very specifically. But but believe me it starts just by reading the gospels over and over and over and then you get the heart of god so that when the voice of god speaks it's very easy to distinguish 2 Timothy chapter 3:15 and through 17 says and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus all scripture is given by inspiration of god and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, and for correction. So this is just not going to let you lead you astray. So please spend time in this. Meditate on it. That means think about it over and over. Pray it out loud. Study it and let it become the anchor of your soul. So that when so when you're practicing your relationship with God, you have solid, solid ground to work on. I want to leave you with this story. Uh, Katrina and I have been, you know, looking in the housing market and we have a great home now. We're thinking of buying one and How many know it's a little expensive out there right now to buy a house? Hey. Which is, it is what it is, right? That's not really our control issue. Uh, So we were going through that, and and God gave me some very specific things to pray about. So I prayed about it and asked and seek and knock, and we talked to kids about it. And, okay, you ask, seek, and knock. And we've been doing that for a while and keeping our eyes out. You get your paperwork in order. You talk to your real estate agents. And then uh, it wasn't long ago, though. It was only like... um, a couple weeks ago, maybe two or three weeks ago, God said, I want you to stop asking me. I don't need You don't even need to look at the real estate pages anymore. Not that you can't for fun, but he, he was telling me, set aside that. I want you to switch from asking to thanking. I've already done it. It's going to happen. I've already, I've already taken care of it. Now start thanking me. I was like, wow, this is going to be fun. So I shut the site down. I just started thanking God for the future house. Thank him for all these things. It's not hard for God to get a house for somebody. He owns a cattle on a thousand hill. He probably has a few homes too. Have you ever studied heaven in Revelation? He doesn't lack anything. And when you're living right here, when your father says it's time for you to have a house and a divine edict comes from heaven, a royal edict, and he said, this one is for you. And you have to be faithful to receive it and steward it. Like he, he, he'll ask you to do these things. But it's so powerful when we switch and let thanksgiving guide our life, thanking him for what he's already done. That's both a combination of living in thanksgiving and practicing the presence of hearing God. That story kind of does both. Amen. So these are signs that you're walking in God, with God. Now, all of us have struggled with maybe all of those things. I personally have struggled with every single one of those ones. And I want to encourage you not to get stuck I want to encourage you not to live a life by yourself when you think you're a loner or a self-made man or woman. You need to be in a relationship with other believers and other pastors and other people where you can go to and you can share these things. And you can say, you know what? I need help. I want to grow in this area of my life. Could you teach me what you know about forgiveness? And then practice it. Or come with us on Monday nights at 7 o'clock. It's free to celebrate recovery. And we practice these principles, biblical principles. We teach on them and testify about them. And practice them uh, every Monday night at seven. So let's stand up together. In closing, God wants to have a relationship with you. God created family. Family is God's idea, and you're a part of it. You are His beloved son or daughter. You got picked to be the favorite. Shouldn't we all have shirts say, "I'm I'm His favorite"? We should just wear them around. I'm His favorite too. Oh, me too. That's weird. I'm his favorite too. And you just walk around Belleville, I'm his favorite. That's the chair one thinking that we need to live from. We need to train our children that way. Our coworkers, if you're a leader in your business, that's how you should be training your staff. That they have everything that they'll need. You can offer them those those solutions because of what Christ has done in you. After I close in prayer, if you'd like prayer on any one of those topics, uh, Mike's here. Uh, There's a lot of people here. Tom and Jolie can pray with you. Anise can pray. There's people here who will pray with you. You just have to ask. I want a breakthrough. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Uh, Maybe it's hearing the voice of God. There's so many things. Maybe I, I need to just spend time with him. Whatever it is, people will pray with you for your breakthrough. Or maybe you just want to come up here And talk to God one-on-one, that's fine. Sometimes we got to just do one-on-one business with God. But he's waiting for us. He's already opened the door. Jesus has made a way for all of us now to have a personal relationship with God. Amen? We just have to accept it. So let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful day. I thank you that we can have a relationship with you. I thank you, God, that you sent Jesus so that you could open the door so we could all become adopted as sons and daughters of the Most High God. I thank you, God, that we don't have to live in the past, that you're giving us a bright new future in Jesus Christ. I thank you, God, for wherever we're lacking that you're putting more in. Thank you, God. We just receive right now whatever we're lacking. We make space for the new things of God to come. And we make space for new friends and a new Christian family, God, where we're always opening our arms and loving one another and forgiving one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you'd like to join us up front for prayer, you can. Otherwise, we look forward to seeing you next week. And Pastor Kevin will be back and excited to hear the word of the Lord with Pastor Kevin. Have a great day.